Guys, uh, there's, there's so much to say on the subject of prayer, and, and the sermon's going to be a little bit different than maybe what you're thinking. You might, you might be thinking, like, we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. There's so many angles we could go there. Um, we're talking about our focus being resetting back to kind of factory original settings, the way God wants us to be, and we're going to talk about how uh, we need to connect our hearts uh, to the Lord through prayer. And, and this sermon series is really different uh, because the truth is, like, like an effective diet, it has to be like a lifestyle change. It can't just be kind of like this, this flash-in-the-pan idea, right? You actually, for a diet to be effective, you can't just change things real hardcore for six months and then go back to how you always ate. Because what happens when you do that? You tend to actually gain more weight than you lost in the first place, and then you're on this, what? It's a yo-yo diet. We all know that it's called that. But this sermon series is different only if you actually do it, okay? Here's the thing. We are limited in what we can, in, we can get you to do. We know that we can't, we can't get you to do anything. You can hear this and you can say, you know, that was a, I'd give it a seven. You know, or, or maybe you're like, I don't really listen to Neil when he preaches. That's okay, too. Some of you guys are that way. I, I, I mean, I, I, just a few of you. Um, I, I, I do watch you. Um, I see you sleeping. Um, no, I'm, I'm totally teasing you. But seriously, like, we can say, we can share the very words of God with you, and we can invite you into something, but we can't make you do anything. So it's only going to apply to you as much as you're willing to invest yourself. And, and here's the thing, though. We're talking about a real lifestyle change, a reset back to how God wants to connect with us. And it's, it's so much better than a fad diet because if we do this, we're going to be reconnected to the Lord and his purposes and we're going to get connected with people in a brand new way and there's going to be everlasting and overflowing life that comes from us. That's a pretty good promise. I mean, keto talks about like burning fat for your energy instead of carbs, but we're t- what we're talking about is everlasting life and overflowing life coming from us. Like in John 10, 10. Isn't that better? Okay, John 6, 33, you guys know this, this passage, but it's super important and it's really the heart of reset. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, when you, when you order things properly, when you order things properly, God's life will flow through you and you will be, he, God's gonna provide all the things that you actually need, all the things that you chase after. Um, so, so, so here's the thing. We believe that 2019 um, is about, uh, it's about doing just that. It's about resetting. We're not trying to, to make you do anything, but we are inviting you to a better way to live. Uh, now, now, let me ask you this. How many of you guys were at our family meeting yesterday? Raise your hand. Here's, here's what's awesome. I think it's gonna keep growing I, yesterday, I, I said that from, from up front when we talked about our vision for the year. I believe that God is just going to keep expanding this place. And it's not because we're, we're so good at marketing. We have some very talented people that work on, uh, uh, they're so creative and they offer so much. Um, but, but God wants to spread his kingdom through his word and what he's doing in this place. We believe that God is going to expand this church. And yesterday, you might have seen me hold up a, a, a journal, and it says on the front, the reset, okay? I, I said to you yesterday that I'm the only one who gets a journal, 
did you think I was joking, Loretta? Man, I guess I'm facetious a bit from up front. Uh, so here's the thing, guys. We want you to journal all throughout this year on all that God is doing so that you can look back at the end of the year and you can see all that he reset in your life. So in just a second, the, you're going to receive these journals. And, and we, what we want to encourage you to do is write in it every day. We're not going to tell you how long you should write in it. That's up, that's up to you and the Lord, whatever he's doing in you. We, but we want you to connect and, and write down and record so that at the end of the year, you can look back and say, my goodness, look at all the Lord has done in my life. The truth is, when we don't write things down, we forget. God does not forget the prayers that we pray, right? But we forget the prayers that we pray. And then a lot of times when we get answers, we don't even realize that they were, those, were, those were answers that God gave us to questions that we ask when we think, oh, I, I didn't even really remember praying that. So we want you every day to write down the longings of your heart that you've shared with the Lord. And if you haven't connected with the longings of your heart in a while, ask him to reconnect your heart. He'll do that. He's gracious. He's the one who gave you the heart that you have. And he wants you, he wants you to feel and to feel powerfully. This journal is going to show you tangibly the faithfulness of God in your life. And the more you see it, here's the truth, guys. The more you see the faithfulness of God in your life, the more you're going to share about this good God that we have. Isn't that true? That's, that's the point. He wants us to be on mission with him. Um, so today, we're going to keep talking about one of the ways that God expects us to connect with his heart, and it's through our hearts, and, and, and it's through prayer. Our focus is going to be on prayer. But like I said, this isn't going to be a how-to message on prayer. It's really going to be a perspective shift because some of you guys struggle with prayer. How many of you have struggled with sitting down and being intentional in prayer? Anybody? Thank you. I appreciate the honesty. Um, all, all of us at some point struggle with that, and God, um, God really wants to, to change our perspective on that today. Um, if, you're the, if, if you're someone who prays a lot already, that's awesome. Maybe this message is going to be simple for you. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Uh, I, I believe that God's going to challenge you in some different way that, that I didn't prepare for because that's just how the Spirit moves. Have you noticed that? Every message, every message that you hear when it comes from the Word of God will challenge you in some way if you're open to it. So how many of you guys are open to what God wants to do in your life today? Awesome. That's a good start. It's a good start. How many of you grew up with ritualistic sounding prayers as a kid? You know what I mean? Now, now, some of you guys might be thinking, well, you know, I, I grew up Catholic. I have a Catholic background, so I just I learned the Lord's Prayer, and I, I could say it, but I didn't really know what it meant. But you didn't have to be Catholic to learn ritualistic prayers. Maybe you just heard a certain prayer that your mom or dad prayed before dinner every single night, and you could say it, but you never really connected with what it meant. Um, maybe even now, sometimes you're like, oh, it's bedtime. That's when people pray so I'm going to pray real quick just so I can check it off my list. So you just have this sense of obligation. Uh, or, you know, even with prayer, we, we say things like, well, make sure you say a prayer for me. And it's like, wait a second. It, saying sounds like kind of like rote memorization to me. Like when I hear that, part of me just goes, no, no. That, what is this really? 
What is this really? Really what prayer is, is just simply, let's take the religious lingo out of it. Let's not even say prayer for a second. What is it? It's communicating with God. Communicating with God. You wouldn't say a message to your spouse, right? You wouldn't be, well, if you're nodding, um, I'll be counseling uh, next week. Uh, you're, you're like, I say messages to my spouse all the time, and I'm totally not interested in hearing feedback. Anybody? No one willing to raise their hand? Smart, smart men. Smart men. But communication is essential. It's absolutely essential in our marriages and with, with the Lord. We can't have a connection if there's no communication. And, and guys, some of you have tried in your marriages to have a connection with no communication for a long time, and then you wonder why when you have an empty nest, all of a sudden you don't have anything to connect about because you made your kids the central focus of your life, and now there's nothing. Right? That's a scary, scary place to be. You can do a lot of things right in your marriage, but if you don't communicate with your spouse, your marriage doesn't have a chance. So how could we possibly think it was any different when it comes to the creator of the universe, the creator of our own hearts? He wants to be connected with us. So when I started working on this message, I really felt led to, to go back, and I have no idea why. I just have to believe it's the Spirit that was directing me because this was not at all any direction that I had in my mind until that very moment. I felt led to, to look in Scripture and go back to the first prayer that was prayed. The very first prayer in Scripture that was prayed. We want to focus on Scripture, and we want to see what he has to say about prayer. And I just kept thinking, go back to the first prayer. We don't want to try to do this on our own because if we try to figure all this out on our own, we're just creating religion, which is man's attempt to get to God. What I want to do is see how God wants to get to us, right? So, so let's dig into that very first prayer. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Here, here's just a little bit of background uh, before, we, before I read this. Um, it's definitely intimated in, in this story. As you read the, the creation account in the first few chapters, it's definitely intimated that it was, a, it was a regular occurrence for God at some point in the day, and it's described as the cool of the day. And I think that's significant. We'll get, into that. We'll get to that in a second. But at some point, he would physically walk through the garden with Adam and Eve. He just took time to go to his creation and spend time with them, and they would walk and talk together. That is, I mean, that's really intimate. In the cool of the day, here's, here's what a lot of commentary suggests about the cool of the day. This was not a high-stress conversation. This was not Adam and Eve striving. This was the creator coming at the most relaxed time of the day, and just hanging out with his people. Just hanging out with his people. We believe God just wants to spend time with you. He just wants to spend time with you in the cool of the day. This was a regular occurrence. And then one fateful day changed everything for all of us permanently. When the first humans, you, you guys know the story, the first humans, Adam and Eve, decided to follow their own hearts 
And a lot of times, a lot of times you'll hear someone say, especially on social media, well, I, I don't know what the right way is, but you, you can't go wrong if you, if you just follow your heart. Oh man, most of my disastrous decisions in my life were made when I just followed my heart. Here's what that really means. Whatever I feel like in this moment, I'm just going to do. How many of you guys have made life-altering decisions based on following your own heart? Where you're like, if I could rewind, if I could reset back to who God actually wants me to be and follow the Spirit of God instead of following my own heart, I'd have a whole lot less heartache. Painful moments from following our own hearts, aren't there? And that's what happened. Adam and Eve, they followed their hearts. And everything changed. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. As you listen to that passage, I bet that you didn't think anything about prayer. As you listen to that passage, I would bet that your first thought was not about prayer, but your first thought was about relationships. It was about the breakdown of relationships. It was about blame shifting and and no one taking responsibility. But the truth is, we actually hear the first prayer. Maybe there weren't enough these and thys and thous in there for you to recognize the prayer. Maybe it didn't sound formal enough. You, you know what I mean, guys? Have you, been, have you been around church cultures long enough to know that prayer voices sound different than regular speaking? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, listen, we, even, we're not as churchy. Like Steve and I, we talk often about how we are like the last people on earth that most people we grew up with thought we'd be doing this today. But even, even with that background... We still can, if we're not careful, change how we say things. Think about this. You you can be sitting down. Maybe you just did this for Valentine's Day. You you, you sat down with your spouse for a nice steak dinner and a a great glass of wine, and and you're getting ready to celebrate that you made it through another year, and you're still in love and hopefully still in like. (laughs) And you get to this moment where you're like, oh, okay, we, we we better bless the meal. Okay, and one of you, one of you, you close your eyes and, and all of a sudden, it sounds like you're conjuring up spirits in a seance. Or it sounds like Charlton Heston in the, in the Ten Commandments. Like you, you put on this big boy voice or big girl voice and it's very formal and it's, it's super creepy. <laughs> but in this passage in Genesis chapter 3, the passage is actually showing that prayer looks a lot like real conversations today. And in this passage, I see a whole lot of heart. I see a whole lot of heart. Now, there's heartbreak in it, 
and there's blame shifting, but hearts are engaged in this conversation. Adam is trying to actively blame God and then Eve. Eve is trying to blame the serpent, and God's just saying, listen, I already know the answers. I just want you to be honest with me because that's how we can stay connected in our hearts. If you just, if you just, level, if you just level up, be honest with me. Be honest about what you did. They had a really hard time doing that. But how can we ever truly love if we don't connect on honest, heart-level truth? Even in the places where we feel like if we're honest, we might lose this relationship. If we're honest, there might be irreparable damage done to this connection. I see a whole lot of heart in this passage. A whole lot of communication. So what can we take from this? Here's the first thing that I would suggest is that prayer begins with God and not with us. Prayer begins with God and not with us. How many of you were taught that in Sunday school? I didn't go to Sunday school, so I'm really asking. How many of you were taught that in Sunday school? I would guess you weren't. I'm going to guess that you were taught that prayer is all about what you say to God. But this passage shows us that prayer begins with God and not with us. A few weeks ago, we talked about um, our connection with God, that, that, that reality is there is nothing that we can do to position our hearts to truly love God from who we are and what we have to offer. There's absolutely nothing you can do. There aren't enough worship songs. There's not enough scripture to read. You can't serve enough to get your heart to offer love to God. The only love that you can offer God is reflecting the love that he gave you. Just like the moon doesn't have its own light, it only reflects the light of the sun, we only reflect the light of the Son of God who shines in us and we reflect it back to him. It's the same way when it comes to prayer. We can only offer what he has started. He started the conversation. It's up to us to pick the line up and continue it. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love God because he first loved us. And we know from this passage, we see that, that they didn't start the conversation. As a matter of fact, what happens when humans do the wrong thing? Think about this. Do you have friends in your life? I've shared this example many times before because I just, I just know this is human nature. Maybe it's you. When you do something wrong, are you eager to talk to the person that you've done the wrong to? Or do you feel like, man, I'm going to ghost that person on social media? Seriously, you, you want to do anything you can to get out of that conversation. I know people that will move so they don't have to have accountable conversations. Seriously, eventually you burn enough bridges that you can't really hang out with anyone in town because of those conversations that you need to have, that you should have had, that you're afraid you'd lose the relationship if you did have, but then you have to move because you don't have a relationship with that person anymore. Guys, you can run out of towns if you're not careful. This is super, super important. It all begins with him. We have the capacity to love solely because he came to us. And we have the capacity to pray solely because he spoke first. God initiated the first prayer by seeking out Adam and Eve in the garden. After what? After they screwed up. Some of you guys are sitting here today and you're thinking, I, I don't have any 
any grounds, I don't have any standing to talk to God. And what I'd say is, all you have to do is acknowledge that and talk to God because he's the one who creates the foundation. You don't. He's the one who's invited you to conversation because he's the one who came to you. Stop trying to get to him. There's nothing you can do to get to him. All you can do is receive from him and then you can have a conversation with him. That's all you have to do is understand your position and understand who he is. He initiated the first prayer. The last thing Adam and Eve wanted to do was talk to God in the cool of the afternoon. They had done that every day prior to this day, but they all of a sudden, everything changed. Everything broke. What was perfect peace in their minds, in their hearts, in their strength. Their bodies were perfect. Everything was perfect. Suddenly, they did something that promised the world. It promised the world. Oh, you'll be smarter. Oh, you're going to know all the secrets. Oh, you're going to be enlightened. As a matter of fact, you're going to be just like God. He's just holding out on you. So they did it. They were tempted. We've all done that, haven't we? We've all heard whispers. We've all heard shouts. We've all responded to these things. And, and we, we, we see these things and they're, they're shiny and they're attractive and they make these great promises just like in the garden. And, and, and we bite into that fruit that forbidden fruit, just like the fruit in the garden. Suddenly they felt guilt for the first time. Remember the first time you felt guilty? Oh, it's hard to sleep when you feel guilty. Remember the first time you felt ashamed? Oh man, I don't want to go home and see my parents today because I know I drank way, way, way too much last night. Remember that? Remember, maybe, maybe you're like me, and my mom's here. <laughs> Maybe you're like me. You'd call your parents really late and say, oh, just, you'd try to put on your real sober voice. Hey, everything's okay. I'm just going to stay over at my friend's house tonight. Cool? So I was too ashamed to go home and face my parents. They suddenly realized what it meant to be naked. They didn't have any reason to be ashamed of being naked. Intrinsically, there's nothing wrong with being naked, but all of a sudden, they knew stuff they shouldn't know. And suddenly, they weren't getting along. They had a perfect relationship. And all of a sudden, they weren't getting along. Guys, that always happens to couples on Sundays. Every single time. It does. It is like the one day when all hell breaks loose in families. Am I right? Saturday, oh man, everyone gets along. You make a big breakfast. You slow things down in the morning. Every other day, you might be hurrying to get your kids to school, but oh, Sunday comes around and all of a sudden the kids decided to sleep in for the first time in their lives. <laughs> and suddenly they don't know what it means to brush their teeth and it's really difficult. And no one wants to leave the house, always on Sunday. And you might have had the most romantic dinner in your whole life on Saturday night and Sunday morning. It's like you don't even know each other anymore. <laughs> Sunday mornings, and this is what happened to Adam and Eve. All of a sudden, it was different. So they hid, because that's what we do when we're ashamed. We hide. And they probably thought he was gone. 
They thought, ah, we're just going to hide. We're going to hide behind these trees. We've never walked back here with him before. We're just going to hide behind these trees. Suddenly they heard footsteps. Can you imagine the utter terror that they felt inside when they heard his footsteps? Can you imagine all the things they were thinking? How how can we face him? We've always had such good conversations. What is he going to do to us? What would he even want with us? Maybe you're here today. If you're being really honest, you're wondering those same things for yourself. I'm not kidding you. Almost every week, I encounter someone who says something to this effect to me. I would go to church, but I'm pretty sure that if I walked in, the roof would cave in on everybody. To me, that's so ridiculous sounding, I don't even know how to explain it, but I hear the heart of people who say that and really believe it. What they're really saying is, I'm a terrible person, and God doesn't want to be with me. What was God going to do with them? And suddenly, where, suddenly they heard that the familiar voice. Where are you? Now that's a tricky question for the first couple because they'd been around them probably long enough to realize this guy knows things. Where are you? The Bible tells us all that God knows. He he knows it all. He's omniscient and he's omnipresent, which is really scary. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 3, it says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Uh-oh. <laughs> that means he knows when you're hiding. You're hiding and you think you're hiding. It's sort of like when your kids are about three and under and they play hide and seek and they are absolutely certain that, that they have put on the cloak of invisibility if they cover themselves with their blanket. They hide in the most obvious place and you're like, I see you. But we think we can do that with God. Psalm 147 verse 4 also speaks to how vast God is. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Do you think that if the creator who made the stars and he has named each of them, do you think that we can do anything to get away from him? Got bad news and good news. He knows where we are when we hide. And he still wants to be with us. He knows where you are when you hide, and he still wants to be with you. In the next few moments, I, 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 the way I read this encounter that Adam and Eve had with God is that they had to be terrified, right? H horrifying moment, like, like the first time. They, what do you do? 
What do you do when you've had this great relationship? You walk and you talk with your creator every day. And suddenly, you know that you've committed this sort of cosmic treason against the one who made you and walked with you. What happens when you cross God? What happens? The rest of the story, it sort of, all of it sort of unfolds, and we don't have time to read it all because it's quite a lot. But here's the summary. Adam admitted his fear of seeing God because he knew that he was naked. We know that there was nothing to be ashamed of, but after seeking more knowledge, that's why he ate the fruit. Everything changed. Adam was changed. He was afraid. He was uncertain and his heart was shaky. Isn't that our experience with sin too? When you sin, you break your, your communion, your connection with other people. When you do things that hurt other people, you know that you feel a little weird about the next time you see them. Well, I know I said that to you on social media, but hey, no offense. And it's like, well, no, no, it was, it was totally offensive. Just own it. So Adam blamed God for giving him Eve, and then Eve for giving him the fruit, and And then Eve didn't do any better. She blamed the devil. And we know that ultimately they were kicked out of the garden and that the the ultimate penalty was that one day their lives would be limited by death. That was not God's original design to limit our lives. We were meant to live forever. We still are. And broken relationships would be the norm. And we see that played out in all sorts of ways. Families falling apart with drug addiction, Families are falling apart because of selfishness. We, we just see that broken relationships are the norm all the way to today from Genesis chapter 3. Not one of us has escaped the penalties of sin. And that leads us to our second point is that sin keeps us from praying. Our sin keeps us from praying. It's kind of funny that the, at the very moment when we need the practical presence of God the most... We need God the most when we have done something against him, when we've done something that breaks our relationships relationships with people, or or we have uh, broken the connection with him. It's when we need him the most that we feel too unworthy to reach out to him because what we did, maybe last night, or how we spoke to our spouse last week, or maybe this morning, or maybe it's not something that we look at as blatant sin against God, but maybe it's a season of busyness. How many of you guys have said, you know, I'm just in a season, just in a season of busyness. And that season's been 20 years. And your kids are grown up. And you're like, well, if you're being really honest, it's been a lifetime of busyness that's kept you away from the most important things. Now listen, I'm not trying to shame you. I I remember being a part of a church that had a charismatic background when, when I first became a believer. And I can't tell you how many sermons I heard uh, basically telling me how awful it was to be busy because we know what busy stands for. Anyone? Being under Satan's yoke. <laughs> yep. So, so here's basically, let me sum it up. Let me sum up what that meant. If you're busy for the church, that's what God wants. But if you're busy in any other area of your life, you're under the yoke of Satan. We're not putting that on you. It's not true. However, 
busyness, whether it's being too busy. Guys, you can be too busy in the church. You can be too busy in your personal lives. You can be too busy with your kids' sporting events or all their extracurriculars. You can be so busy that you're missing out on the most important things. And our connection with God is definitely that. Maybe you just have a hard time believing in God because you prayed for something that you believed was God's will and your family member still died. Maybe that happened. And you just have this feeling inside that you don't have the desire to try to reach out and ask him for things because you don't have the space in your heart to be disillusioned anymore. You don't want to be disappointed any longer. All of those things are real. If we're being really honest, every single one of us has been disappointed because our prayers weren't answered the way we wanted them to be. We've all felt ashamed to be in God's presence at one time or another. And we've all prioritized something over the Lord. Can we just be honest and real about that? It doesn't matter how churched we are. At some point, we've prioritized things over the Lord. And and that goes from elders and pastors to deacons and, and directors in the church and every single other person who comes into this church and every single person who hasn't come here yet but will come this year. Christian, non-Christian, anything in between, we know that there are things that we do that get in the way of our connection with the Lord. And our sin keeps us from praying, but that leads us to the most important point, is that Jesus covers the sin that makes you want to run away from him the most. Jesus covers the sin that makes you want to run away from him the most. I want you to just think about that thing that you've done, maybe in the past, maybe it's today, that you think, if I could just stop doing this, if I hadn't done that in the past, whatever that thing is, I know that I could come to to the Lord with confidence. I want to shift your perspective a lot. Jesus already came for you. He already came to you to change your whole idea of how you make it to him. After God told Adam and Eve the consequences of their sin, and here's the thing, guys, sin does have real consequences. Sometimes we ask that God would take away the consequences, but how many of you know that consequences are the best teacher? Sometimes we just have to experience consequences. In other words, our parents said it to us when we were young like this. Sometimes you just have to learn the hard way. What's the hard way? The hard way is a road with with blocks and consequences. Kids, a lot of times, have to learn through pain. What is it? Touching, Touching the stove. Think about that. My dad told me that when he was little, he was about five, he kept walking up to his stove, and his mom just goes, don't get near the stove. And he just didn't understand it. He's like, he said it, it, it started glowing, it, was, it, it, looked, it looked cool, the heat felt kind of different as he got close, and, and she just goes, go ahead, touch it. And after he melted his fingerprint off, <laughs> guess how many times he touched the stove again? Exactly zero. And that's one lesson I didn't have to learn the hard way. I listened to my dad, and I believe that heat will melt your fingerprint off. 
And I didn't have to learn it that way. I, I, I really had to learn a lot of other things, though. Verse 21. Consequences for sin are real, but then something beautiful happened. It's interesting. It says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You know what that means? Is that what we try to cover up by hiding, God covers with his forgiveness. What we try to cover by hiding, God comes to us and he covers us with forgiveness and he speaks to us because he still wants to be with us. Let that sink in really deep today. Let that make your heart come to life. It doesn't matter who you are. And I know you might have heard that before. This isn't pastor cliche talk. This is true. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. I, I, I it, always find it interesting when someone says to me, do you think that, and they, give, they always give the worst example that you can possibly come up with. You know, people say things, and it sounds really moral. Well, I don't want to be in a heaven where, and name the, wor- the most hated person on the planet. It's always Hitler, especially on social media. It's always Hitler, right? I don't want to go anywhere Heaven's not even heaven if Adolf Hitler's there. Heaven's not even heaven if you just name the person. Maybe it's a serial killer. Maybe it's just someone you've heard of in the news who did really bad things. Well, I don't want to go there if that person's there. But we don't get to create the narrative that shapes who goes to heaven and who doesn't. And that's a darn good thing because we are great attorneys for ourselves and great judges for others. I don't want someone else to determine if I go to heaven. I just want him to determine if I do. I want no one but Jesus. We try to cover up by hiding, and God comes to us, and he speaks to us and covers us with forgiveness. That's the picture of Jesus right there in the garden. It's the picture of the first sacrifice. Notice that God covered, he covered their shame with skin. Do you know what that means? God made a sacrifice right there in the garden. God offered up an animal that he made to use that skin. Blood was shed for the forgiveness right there in Genesis chapter 3. It's foreshadowing, showing that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice to come. Do you see that? Jesus is on every single page of the Bible. He came to us. He started this. He loved us first. He spoke to us first. The question is, how will we respond to this God who loves us so deeply? How will you respond to the God who is still speaking just like he spoke in the garden? The very first prayer he started, God is still speaking today. The question is, do you hear him? And how will you respond to him? I, don't, I want to invite the band to come back up as we get ready to close. I want to tell you um, what Jesus said uh, God looks like. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 20. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided this property between them. 
Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave anything to him. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. This is the most beautiful part of the story. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That is what God looks like. That is what God looks like today. We always want to make sure that we, we let you know how to get on this journey with God. Listen, it is not very hard according to that story. It's really, really simple. God loves the little children. He does. He does. He wants us to trust like, like little kids. He wants us to be silly sometimes, just like little kids, isn't he? He wants us to receive like little kids do. We want to make sure that you have a chance to respond to the Father speaking to you today. If you haven't gotten on this journey with the Lord, allow this to be your first response, your very first response. Maybe you've never done this before, but Acts 2.38, it tells us how, the, how we can respond to God. This could be your first prayer. We're told in Acts 2.38 that if we repent of our sin, it doesn't mean that you have to get rid of your sin. You can't do that. But it just means that you recognize that you're going the wrong way and you want to turn another way and you want to turn to Jesus. But the Bible tells us that if you'll repent of your sin and be baptized, ba baptism is, is just identification with Jesus and his life, his death, and his resurrection. It's saying, I'm putting my old way to death with Jesus' help and I'm going to be raised to new life. And in faith, believing then that you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Spirit of God who will walk with you for the rest of of your days. And if you've already made that decision, that's amazing. But it's our prayer that this message would stir you to, to a greater affection for the Jesus who started the conversation. God is not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He's not disappointed. He just wants to be with you. no matter how busy you are, no matter how ashamed you've been, no matter how much you've prioritized other things over him, he just wants you to respond to him today. One of the things that we've done the last few weeks, we've grabbed a hold of identity statements, and we're going to see it up on the screen in just a second. And here's the one for this, for this week, for this message. God loves us and is always speaking to us. That's what prayer is. God started the conversation. The question is, how will you respond to him?